Welcome to the Today Dreamer podcast, a project that's dedicated to helping you cultivate your own practice of presence. My name's Michael and I'm your host. I'm a meditation teacher, a musician, a mentor and a conversationalist that's currently based in Melbourne, Australia. And it's my hope that through listening to these conversations and through these kind of shared spaces that you'll be able to feel more empowered and more enabled in participating and contributing to the blossoming of the emergent world story. So hopefully you find some clarity through these chats, some inspiration and motivation. This is a part two of a two-part series. So if you haven't yet, I would like to kind of point you to part one to have a listen. And if you have, then you know, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Before we do get into it, I would like to invite you to pause with me for a moment as we have the space to just be through the practice of an inhalation and exhalation. Feel free to focus in on one object in the distance in your field of vision or you may even like to close your eyes for a moment and as slowly, slowly and gracefully as you possibly can there's a nice gentle open invitation to begin to inhale through the nostrils noticing any subtleties of your experience You might like to just pause for a moment at the peak of your inhalation. Before gently releasing just as slowly and gracefully on the way out. There's an open invitation to continue this process as we lead into part two of this conversation. You might like to continue all the way through. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get into it. I'm not quote-unquote blaming anybody in particular for it. I have no interest in blaming anybody, right? Well, I could even see that within myself. And if I look deeply into my own, you know, the phases or the different lives I've lived within my own life. And I think it's only up until recently, to be honest, that this has kind of started to shift for me. Yeah. And it's just started, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can definitely feel into what you're saying. There's a real truth to that. Yeah. And there's a sense of like wanting to kind of um, almost like create this cycle of holding, but being held at the same time. And there's also this idea of, I just come back to my son and I see him, you know, possibly even as an analogy in a way, but just the idea of um, coming into a kind of way of being with him where he is the ultimate priority in a sense, sending that seed into the future rather than focusing in on, you know, what, what, like myself and my own 
my own kind of sense of selfishness has come up yeah in that reflection yeah um so there is something um uh, very kind of uh, there's a big opening there when we're talking about um putting in effort and um doing what we feel in in our heart is you know worthy of love and that effort um and sending that kind of i picture as sending it forward but i mean it's really a sense of presence um, yeah a, a caveat that i would attach to what you've just said in the last couple of minutes yes it would be this um i i noticed the coincidence of what i just talked about and your response in terms of go going back to your son yes and i would point out to you that this is probably the single I mean, it's noble, of course, but it's the single easiest response you could have to what I said. Mm, how so? You go right back to making him a priority, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, because it's it's in the matrix, isn't it? Or the patrix, I suppose would be a better word here since you're the father. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's in the circuitry to do so, right? But there's a big reward system for doing so too, to set yourself aside you know, for the sake of his, him in the future and so on like this. Mm. So here's my caveat. Mm -hmm. When things come that easy to you, mm -hmm. it's not that you should suspect them, but you should wonder about their, their ease, the kind of petroleum jelly that's on the idea that, okay. may, that, that produces no friction whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So let me introduce some friction, some, mm -hmm. uh, some granular element to the idea. Suggest it. Yeah. it goes like this. You, as, as do I, I mean, my kids are my 30s, but still, still to this day, do I not have all kinds of senses that I would like to run interference for them and in some fashion um, baptize them against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune globally and ecologically and all the rest? Don't I? Of course I do. It's there. What do I do with that? Well, I don't obey it. I do this instead. I've come to realize for what it's worth that me being able to act directly on behalf of my children in real time so that they recognize the efficacy of what I've done on their behalf in real time and that that recognition comes back to me in a positive feedback loop in real time is extremely unlikely and not the best use of the limited time I have on this planet. So I'm going to suggest to you it should work like this instead. You want your kids to be in a better world, perhaps, than you were born into. I should hope so. Good. How do you get there? You work for the better world, mister. You don't work for the kids. Okay? And what you hope is that indirect um, focus, they see you operating not with them at the center of the enterprise but with the better day at the center of the enterprise with this sorry broken world or what we've done to it at the center of the enterprise that you lead with your heartbrokenness on the matter not with your sense of fierce you know uh, protectiveness on their behalf that you you open that you you break a hole in that big enough to acknowledge that you can't save them directly from the world that you yourself inherited. 
So what you're going to have to do instead is try to, in your little corner of the world and me and mine, have to make something that's better than it was when we found it. And we hope they're watching. And we hope they take inspiration from that example and are able to translate that into paternal love. I feel like I was with you before you began, Stephen, because I, 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 even though I said he was a priority, I still kind of saw him as fused together with, with the world. Like they, they seem to be um, one in a sense, because like exactly what you're saying, there's this kind of the betterment of all in a sense from my corner with, you know, whatever I can do to contribute and participate and, and be of some use. And then there's this sense of him indirectly. Um, there's an example that's, that's brought out rather than the sole focus be on him. Right. And then, but he is actually the seed into the future. I mean, no one can say when anyone will live or die, but there is a sense of sending something forward in, and, and, and one of those things, could possibly be his life through that example yeah um so i think we may be on the same page and i'm not quite sure i might still be a little bit off i don't think so i think i think there's a general amen in the mixtures here somehow between the two yeah of them. i would yeah. just recommend to you that you not employ your son as a stand-in for the world that you can't get get mm. at mm-hmm. see what i'm saying mm-hmm. Yes, I get what kids, you're kids can tell when they're stand-ins for some symbol. Mm-hmm. They can tell when they've become a project for you. Yes. Right? And, and they have no obligation to be in this world in order to give you something to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, okay. you and I are in perfect accord. This whole thing around, there was one of your songs, and it was around being useful in a war. Yes. I was wondering around that. Is there anything that comes up that you may be able to share in the context of what we're talking about? Um, yeah, that's a scary song. Now, I should say, <laughs> I should say it's not my song. It's uh, my partner in that project. He wrote that song. Yes. That's his music and his lyrics as, uh, as well. I have and, noticed you talking around usefulness, though, and you've mentioned certainly. the word a few times. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Uh, but I think he wrote that song before he met me to, you know, to give him his full due. Yeah, <laughs> he did, he didn't beautiful coming answer. together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think in, in, it's not a tongue in cheek thing. He's saying, um, he's saying something like this. I'm not a child. And alas, um, oh, let me see if I can remember some lyrics. Um, my, my hair is gray and thinning. Um, oh my God. <laughs> See, I don't have to sing it every night, so it's not, it's not on me to have the lyrics burned in my mind. But I, I know in principle, the thrust of the song is to say, um, you know, I've glimpsed my willingness to be complicit. And uh, even though this, it sounds like a prayer to be pressed into like an active draft to go fight in a war, it's not clear that he's talking about a war of... Uh, the likes that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. I think the, the warfare he's talking about might be closer to a lot of guys referring to themselves or each other in terms of warriors, 
and spiritual warriors and things of this kind. I think that's in there as well. But he's he's obviously, uh, I mean, I would recommend the song to anybody who's listening and say, you will find in there, it's not irony. It's not sarcasm. He's saying, when he's saying, make me useful in a war, make me deaf to my own voice, I, I won't uh, something any choice. Um, coming down from the co Commodore, make me useful in a war. Uh, <laughs> that's all I can remember right now. He's mm. saying something in the order of, um, you might want to pay attention to what you obey. But in this case, in, he's, he's situated himself inside the compromise rather than talking about it from the outside. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it's a braver revelation, I think. I am yours to do your bidding. It's been this way since the beginning. Air is gray and thinning. Do you need me anymore? I have watched the burning skies through coward's eyes. I've ignored the battle cries that are right outside my door. Stumbled drunk through love and joy. Far too long a manish boy And now I'm ready to deploy Make me useful Secret mission, make me black ops, cut the cord, deny that I was ever in your war. Take my head out of the heavens, take my hands and make them weapons, hold me to the oath I swore. Make me useful in a war, make me deaf to my own voice, I won't question any choice.
side I'm fighting for Just make me useful Please make me useful You don't gotta tell me What side I'm fighting for No, you don't gotta tell me What Something's coming up for me around something that you mentioned as well. I'm going to jump around a little bit here, um, but it was this idea of, uh, in a way, it's the finality to death. And I'm just thinking about almost like the storm. You, you, I think it was in Mother's Canoe, this kind mm. of sharing that you, that you oh. gave. And um, there was this, there was this kind of quite a um, never experienced before a storm in my heart. And the feeling of that, it was almost as if I, I, I kind of, I pictured like this for some reason it brought this kind of magical theme to it, but it was kind of like, um, like a white witch had passed away. And then I'd inherited some of those powers or something, some, some kind of something became alive or online in me that was never in that way there before. And, but there was also the finality of what had taken place. There was a full stop. Um, yeah. And it was just this idea of, I guess, uh, almost as if some sort of potency had been deepened or something had, um, you know, it was like she was almost more alive in death in some ways um, that I'd ever, than I'd ever experienced. And not only for me, I could see that for people around us um, mm -hmm. in the way that they had kind of come to terms with the fact that they would never grow old with her or, you know, all these kind of imaginings that they may have had um, or even spend time with her in the same way ever again. So, I guess there's this idea of, yeah, just, I guess there's this idea of having her with me, but then also at the same time, knowing that she's gone. I'm curious to know, I guess, I don't know if this is a question or a sharing or what it is or wondering, uh, but I've, yeah, I've heard you kind of, uh, maybe mention a distaste around this idea of, um, and maybe I don't know how I've taken this. It's just a real neutral kind of uh, curiosity around, um, you know, and I can see the shadow side of people feeling like there's, um, you know, like you live forever or something like that, but there seems to be some life in her death. Although there was definitely a lot of death in her death as well. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to kind of just put that out and see what came up for you. Well, um, you know, how did that happen? 
It didn't happen because she was alive. Mm. The release or the, or the uh, exposure that you endured as a consequence was a result of her dying. And had she not died, the likelihood of any kind of spontaneous transmission of the kind that you've described here is bordering on the nil, I would say. Because it's not a it's not a commission, right? It's not a uh, it's not a a status report. What you're describing, and you and you described it quite well, I should say. The idea that 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 whatever this was that constituted her, let's call it spiritual alacrity, whatever that was, it obeyed the the bonds of her body only so long. And something like the nanosecond, the body was no longer there to contain it temporarily. It uh, immediately recast itself with no particular attachment to her chassis. Yes. Okay, this is astounding, no? And this is a very old, old understanding of how these things move from one person to another. They're not rewards. They're not acknowledgments. They're not... Um, depositions there summonses yes and 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 the fact remains that no matter how clear that might be to you the work before you is the work of translating what it means that it's come to you because that's not a given how you're going to do that and then you realize my god you know to the extent that these things are in the world at all in human form it's such a it's such a friggin' tightrope act that it could it could give good in all the places it appears as it kind of slides from one human form to another and and, and in a different circumstance without without a an operator's guide you know to uh, to make the whole thing clear and legible and this is why you know in more traditional times people would tell stories where such a thing took place they wouldn't say, are you listening as your mother's about to die? But they would see to it that you were told this on the off chance that this might leap across the chasm and come to you. Why? To, to make sure that you're going to be okay? Secondarily, maybe. But the principal reason is the culture needs that stuff in its midst. And if you're the latest incarnation of it, there's nothing special about you for that but there is something mandatory about you for that. And so they'll tell those stories and in hopes that you're paying attention in hopes that they'll be useful and, and some kind of, some kind of uh, gravitational pull or some kind of downward incline makes the molten aspect of what she's bequeathed to you move. What do you do with that? You know, like it's it's like that 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 comes through, and and I think that that's the first thing that comes up for me in that moment is like, and I think what you the way you pointed to it was quite beautiful. It's like now you got to figure that that's the work, the translation. Correct. And also, there seems to be something around like a breathing into the fact that that's the work, like just to kind of. It's true. It's true. Slow down a little bit. This is a a good moment for a bit of Jewish humor. Because Jewish humor is very valuable in moments like this where the possibilities of inflation are there. Okay. 
So I've, you know, as best I can recollect the story, it goes like this. So there's a, there's the broom pusher in the synagogue, right? He's the custodian. He's taking care of the joint. And, and he happens to be there when one of the august members of the congregation comes into the temple looking for the rabbi. And the rabbi comes to meet him and they go through the thing because they're acknowledging each other's high status in the community and so on. And, uh, and as they're telling stories about the people who've died and, and uh, what they've seen in their lives and so on, one will often at the end of his exclamation say, but me, I'm nobody. I'm nothing, he will say. And then, you know, not to be one-upped by being nothing. Then the other august member will say in response to something that they said at the end of the conclusion, I'm also nothing. I'm less than nothing. <laughs> And so it goes like this. And here's the here's the, the custodian listening to this, and he's completely overwhelmed by the magic of these two old and august members of the community declaring that they're nobody and they're nothing. And the magic of the moment overwhelms him completely. And he says, <laughs> myself also, I'm also nothing, I'm no one. And and the apparently the rabbi looks at the, the other rich fellow and they look back at each other and say, point to him and say, look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> it's just, it's one of the great stories, you know, it just, it helps in every way. So, so there's that element too. You know, you're, you're just another guy, man, but another guy whose mother died may have slipped you the goods. Yeah. It's still work. It's mostly work. It's not an identity. Yeah. You know, it's not a passport. It's not a special yeah. status. It's, Definitely. it's work. It's in the world for a reason you got to find out what that is by active pursuit. I went to Harvard Divinity School in the late 1970s. I thought I'd get into the clergy business. The clergy, they thought otherwise. They were right. Things have worked out on all sides of that ill-conceived notion, though. Still, God's mysteries are as mysterious when they work out as when they don't. So I was counseled out of the divinity part of things. I had no plan B at all. I was eight weeks into my career and I was missing the soul of it all. divinity plans and charts. I was walking across Harvard Yard in a skiff of December snow. It was dusk and everything was violet shadow and murmuring. Now, pigeons are a fact of life there. They'll let you get pretty close and then they'll explode in feathers and bawling to land 10 feet away to start the whole thing again. And that happened every bird but one aloft that one but remained in the snow the bird tried again to rise and didn't nothing but flapping bird adrenaline the bird let me get too close i thought so i knelt beside and i reached over and i folded the wings to the body so as not to hurt and I made to turn the bird over. 
to look for something wrong. rotating motion, the bird died. A thrum moved through my palms and then up both of my arms and across the shoulders and to my chest and quivered there and stayed there and my breathing was burdened for some other life had taken its place there alongside mine and it lasted for maybe an hour or until now. Yeah. And, and I think there's this sense of like in everyone's life, everyone having inherited that that's kind of alive today in their own way, you know, I don't think so. A, I don't so, think so. So I don't mean with the mother, I mean, everyone's got a sense of ancestry about them, right? Everyone's had ancestors. Sorry. Would be a better way of putting it. Not even here's why. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are ancestors? Dead people, lots of dead people, like mm -hmm. rings and rings and rings, like around Saturn of dead people. I'm going to suggest to you an ancestor is a very particular consequence of things happening. And this is what it is. Mm -hmm. In order to be an ancestor, dying won't necessarily get you there. You have to be claimed by the living you leave behind to be an ancestor. Otherwise, you could just as readily be a ghost. Okay, so it's not a given in a culture that, that leaves its dead behind that that culture is going to have ancestors galore. Never mind have the kind of, what we call it, a kind of spiritual democracy that sees to it that all the spiritual gifts are equally distributed across the population. That's certainly not true either. In the most devout and Aboriginal communities, that's not true. So it's certainly not true in a demolished yet to be a culture like the one I'm from, or perhaps you're, you're from. So what I'm hearing, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that is that, that there's a sense of uh, the ancestors are only alive once they're kind of, I don't know if claims the right word, but kind of opened into in some way. And before that takes place, then, then in, in a sense, there's an act as if they don't exist. So how could, how could we then, you know, become 
the proper sense of an ancestor to the to the next generation right when it's your turn right yes um i mean one of the things you do is pay attention to the language and you use the term a couple of times the ancestors and that's a clear indicator of the dilemma mm. i've described okay there's no such thing as the ancestors there's only mm. your ancestors or mine or hers or theirs mm. in other words there has to be the claim has to be in the title and the answers is some kind of free-floating lending library of spiritual funkiness, you know, and uh, it doesn't, there's no such thing in my humble estimation as the ancestors for this reason. Yeah. So that when they're employed, they work. Maybe that's the simplest way to say it. When they're employed and they're called upon, they something like a tuning fork they ring perhaps but fail to failure to call upon them certainly visits upon them a degree of mildew corrosion rust mold and the rest don't you think yeah definitely and there's there's this kind of touches a point that i've been kind of wondering and exploring into recently around i think this kind of yeah leads onto this quite well this idea of um i guess uh, it's the idea of like invoking i'm going to say spirits of beings that are either still alive or that have passed in certain moments to help us along this path of usefulness with whatever at the right time with the right attunement so calling in you know um the, invoking this idea of um you know a wise sage or something that may have passed or even you know at a certain moment of confusion with my words i might invoke the spirit of, of stephen jenkinson in and see how that kind of sits with me okay. you know so this this idea of having a vast array of these uh, i don't i don't want to misuse the word ancestors but you know spirits or or, or beings that we can call in yeah. at the time where we may not be um as strong or, or seemingly not and when when they may be needed so the question there is what if there is one i guess it seems to be I guess we're talking about this sense of um, what, from what I'm hearing is, is like a, there's an individual sense of the ancestor. And then there's this almost like universal opportunity in some sense, if, if, if the window is cleaned enough to be able to connect with something that can help us along on this journey. I just would, I was wondering what you thought about that. And, and if you kind of, yeah, if, if you agree and, um, how you how, if you ever do anything like that it kind of comes up now as well you know first of all what do i know this is the an important thing to begin this answer with um you know i'm i can wonder with with the champs i can wonder but i don't have to pretend to be absolutely certain on the matter mm. right? okay so there's that's an important caveat with that in mind uh, to follow along somewhat with what i was saying earlier 
not individual ancestors so much as particular ones. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? I think if you focus too much on an individual ancestor, you're likely to attach yourself to their personality quirks and their, you know, what sets them quote apart and and above, maybe that's in, in somehow implied in there as well. And then you have this under the other understanding that goes along with that. It's corollary, the mass, you know, the undifferentiated mass of kind of ancestral glunk that you derive from. So what I'm suggesting as an alternative to that kind of unnecessary hierarchy of preference is that you think of all ancestors as particular, not unique, simply as once upon a time, they stood and put one leg through their pants and then the other, right? And, and you're lucky that they did and that they're with you no longer as part of their particularness, right? And, and you learn something of their particularness without clinging to it, without fetishizing it, see? And you're, you're led by an understanding that all redemptive work is particular work. It's not mass anything. It's, it's, um, it comes down to you are accorded a certain number of moves during the course of your lifetime. Each one of them is separate. It's not a mass thing. It's not a wave. You know, you get a chance to do this, then you catch your breath, and then maybe you do that. And you should be able to articulate the specifics of what you tried to do. These things are all particular. Not talk about your feelings, no, what you did what you did, not why you did it. Well, with all of this, of course there are regrets. Of course there are regrets. Down along the fence line, in the back 40 of your life, there's a pile of stones there, and you know what they are. Those are your regrets. And if you don't go down there, and if you don't visit them often, you're gonna end up thinking that there's no pile there at all. And that's never true. Or you can end up deciding that it makes a pile a mile high, which is almost never true. So here it is, they're always there, and the pile is rarely as high as you think it is. So how about this, when the ending of days comes into view, maybe that's a good time to go down there and visit that little altar, because that's what it becomes now, an altar where you can pray. Here's an idea. Don't add another stone to the pile by how you are with the ending of days. Just remember. And then climb that little hill, picking up one stone at a time, and then putting it down. Remembering. It's not all bad. And when you get to the top, look around now. 
Because that, that's the vast field and pasture of your life. And everything in it is now visible and lucid and clear. And you can only really see it from up there. And that's the big story. Yeah. Um, but this brings me to uh, an etymology that's very useful, I think, at this moment. You know, the word awake is used with um, not much caution, and I don't think much tuition is involved in it either. So it's often used as a, as a self-descriptor for people who think they've they finally rose on the right side of the bed and of life and of God and whatever it is, uh, or, their, or their life partner <laughs> and all these things. Awake means nothing. It's not the opposite of anything. It's not the opposite of a sleep, spiritual otherwise. The word is built of very specific meanings. And because it's an old Anglo-Saxon word, I don't have to be a Latin scholar for this one. Okay? So the prefix, the A, in Old English, is a prepositional function. It answers the question where, basically where, or maybe secondarily kind of in what fashion, what form, a little bit how, that's the general thing. And then the root word is wake, which of course we use, and you may have had one for your mother. So there's that meaning of it. And there's the secondary meaning, I'm not sure which is primary, but there's the other meaning, which is when you're making your way through water or air, if you'd be able to see it. And of course, through life, you will break the waves, if you will, here in front of you, just at your chest bone, but fanning out behind you, there's a whole eddy sequence, isn't there? And you can see it in the water very clearly. That's called awake too. So what does it mean then to put the word back together and to call yourself, I'm not sure you should ever do so, but certainly you could admire someone is, is striking you as being you know, specifically and particularly awake. The, can, the description that you're making of them is, comes to this. Well, that person is inhabited by and claimed by a certain alertness to the realm of consequence that it's sinuated out from everything they did 
and everything they didn't do and everything they said and everything they failed to say and every thought they thought and everyone that escaped them and so forth and so on and so on. In each one of those things, they have some allegiance to, obligatory allegiance to, not to live in it as if it were a prison or the final word on anything, but the condition of being awake means being alert to the consequences that you set into motion mostly by default or inattention or inelegance to detail, things of that kind. We could practice more of that and we would be better off for it and the world around us would as well. The condition of being awake is the condition partly of wishing you had proceeded otherwise. But having lived long enough to have those regrets, you can mobilize yourself subsequently as if those regrets count for something. They can inform you as to how you proceed now so that you're free to make other mistakes, you see, and not the same ones again and again and again. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen, and for sharing. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's, <laughs> if it's needed or if it's welcome, but I'm, I'm going to reach over and give you a big energetic hug. Um, and hopefully maybe it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, thank you to Nathalie as well for setting this up and, and, and helping kind of save the day a little earlier. Right, and sorry. I'm going to, um, I'm going to throw some music in and, and make it all kind of creative and fun and do all that kind of thing and, and share some more details around your offerings and, and your, your own wake. Um, so thank you. thank you so much, Stephen. It's, it's been a pleasure and I'm going to let you go and, and get on with your day. You're welcome. Thank you. And I just say, you know, if, uh, if the gods are on our side, who ne whoever knows, mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to put a, a real proper grief and mystery tour together mm -hmm. for this fall. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm hoping that it brings us to your part of the world. If we can put enough gigs together and the money makes sense and the, the COVID protocols are wherever they need to be to make it possible and so forth. Mm. Uh, but I'd love to get there again. We've been there three or four times on different tours and something about Oz that's always seems to have understood in a general way what I'm up to. And I didn't have to translate everything the way I tend to have to do here where I live. And it's, mm. a, it's a relief that I'd very much look forward to. So, so uh, from my mouth to God's ear, let's see if it happens. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Okay, Thank you. Thank you for your participation in this episode of the Daydreamer podcast. I'll leave links on our beautiful guest in the show notes section on the website where you can check out all their wonderful work and offerings. And if you're interested in working one-on-one -on -one with me, feel free to head over to todaydream.com and get in touch. Thank you so much again. And until next time, be present, feel alive, and yeah, be well.
start off in the light. That's right. And you end, uh, you end in wisdom. If the gods are prevailing. But otherwise, light. So, legions of kids coming downtown from the North American suburbs, and they're looking for a, a good time. Some of them find it, that's good. Some will find things they're pretty sure is a good time, and well, that changes. That's okay. But some of them, more than some, well, they find Oxycontin. And more of them than that find fentanyl. And these, these are not mood alters per se, down there on the corner. These are not hallucinogens of any kind. These are prescription drugs, friends. And they're right down there, in easy reach. These are pain relievers, you see. They're analgesics. And they are amongst the most pernicious prompters of addiction that this world has ever seen or ever been obliged to bear. And here's the thing. Their manufacturers know that. Every day and every night, kids from the most materially prosperous culture that this world has ever produced or been obliged to bear are at considerable risk to themselves, demonstrable risk, this very evening, in this very place, treating themselves for pain, not ennui. Not depression, not despair, not purposelessness, pain. A kind of pain that it seems no anesthesiologist would treat or countenance or even recognize. And the manufacturers, they know that too. And then if you would, consider this word anesthetic. Who knew that the word that we use to describe numbing ourselves for the sake of getting by has our word for beauty buried there in its midst? Huh. Aesthetic, pertaining to beauty, the ability to make beauty or to, to know beauty or to have it in your life, which is an ability, or to be that in someone else's life also an ability, and you reassemble the word, and what does it mean to be anesthetized? The word is telling you plainly, it means to be disabled where beauty is concerned. To be unable to make beauty and to know beauty and to have it in your life, or to be it in someone else's. Grief or mystery? Let's see. I ask you this, who treats themselves for beauty? Uh, that's too easy. It's the beauty bereft. That's who. These kids are not down on the corner looking for beauty in their lives. 
I dare say they've given up on beauty more or less entirely by the time they're down there scooping up that fentanyl. They've given up on beauty by then, and they've lived its absence long enough. They are awash, are they not? In the new and the improved and the version 12.6 of every godless trinket and device. And many of them, maybe more than many, they can't bear it anymore. They've been obliged to proceed in their young lives minus the presence of ratifying human agedness, which is the beauty they're treating themselves for, ratifying human agedness. Elders, in other words. And what's become of them? Oh, they're 25-year-olds now, competition with 55-year-olds for the same music, the same clothes, and the same boyfriend, the same girlfriend, at the same time, the same payday, the same spiritual charge at the same retreat center. And many of them can't take the competition anymore. They're bereft of elders, and you know now what their solution is. Disable that part of them that longs after that ratifying human agedness. Beauty in a human form. Oh, they've tried swearing off the stuff, the time-sanctioned, the time-honored kind. But the longing after real human beauty is too strong. And it's involuntary, too. And it does not answer to our sorrow or our command to have it otherwise. The longing for aged beauty is a powerful thing, and it's not going away. So, anesthetized instead. It takes powerful medicine indeed to get by without it, and to make as if it doesn't matter anymore. So here's the thing. Legions of kids down on the corner, awash and adrift, in what's gone and what's missing in their lives. And they are spiritually and psychically free for the taken down there. And hasn't it come to pass in our own lifetime that the young among us can't tell the difference between being useful in a troubled time and being used by the troubles of the time?